the thing about sexuality is specifically when it comes to shame is that sexuality is not shameful. Sexuality is not shameful because you are ashamed of it. That is something that was created by society. It is not an inherently shameful thing. That's something that was fed to you. So anything that you have that if you're upset with me for empowering my sexuality and empowering others to be sexually open, that's your stuff. That's you not understanding what true freedom is. And if you can't embrace your sexuality and embrace your power in that way, you're not really free, man. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Globe Podcast. Sexuality can be a loaded issue and hard to talk about. This week's episode is hosted by Mark Osmondson. His guest is Gigi Engel. Mark and Gigi are longtime friends, and it certainly comes across by their inspiring energy and how much fun they seem to be having being in conversation together. I so much appreciate the vision they share in this episode for a more healthy sexuality, both at the individual and societal levels. Mark has been a teacher on GLOW for four years now, and Gigi is an award-winning author who has written about sex education for Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Elle Magazine, Teen Vogue, and others. She's the author of the best-selling book, All the Effing Mistakes. You'll hear Mark give a complete introduction to her in a moment, so I'll save that for him. Mark and Gigi also discuss how a critical part of coming into our power is through healthy sexual freedom and openness. They remind us as sexually empowered beings, we can live in abundance in joy and safety with each other. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Mark Osmondson and Gigi Engel. Hello, friends. Welcome to the GLOW podcast. It is such an honor and a great pleasure to get to speak with you all today. My name is Mark Osmondson, and if you don't recognize the name or the voice, I've been a teacher and a coach on GLOW for almost four years now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and I'm really, really thankful for Derek and Lisa to hand me over the mic a little bit and... Um, to bring some new voices, which I'm really excited about. So today, I have the absolute pleasure to bring on, and keyword pleasure here, we're going to talk about a lot today, to bring on the incredible Gigi Engel to the podcast, um, who happens to be a close friend of mine. Gigi is an award-winning feminist author. She's a certified sex educator and psychotherapist in training. As a sex expert with three fun, she promotes and teaches about pleasure-based sex education, woo, GSRD relationships, and safer sex practices. Gigi's work regularly appears in many publications, including Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Elle Magazine, Teen Vogue, I know we have a funny story about that one, Glamour, and Women's Health. Her articles have been shared over 150 million times, whoa. And she is originally from Chicago and currently lives in London, UK. Uh, and I also want to take a second because we're going to talk about it a little today. Gigi is also the author of All the Fucking Mistakes. We're going to swear a little bit today too, everybody. Don't take it. Uh, <laughs> take it with a grain of salt, uh, which is an absolutely hilarious um, and extremely insightful book. And we've included that uh, in the show notes today. So hi, Gigi. Hi. 
Did you ever think that we would be here right now? No, this is like a dream come true. It really, really is. Um, a little backstory, Gigi and I met when we were 18. We were babies. We both moved to New York City. Uh, we were freshmen or fresh people, as I like to call them, at Fordham University. Uh, which we both ended up dropping out of <laughs> at the end of that year. Um, but we both, you know, we found our feet. We've continued on with our education. I think we're doing pretty well. So hi, Gigi. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. This is like, this is like, we used to talk about this being famous one day and being on a podcast or the television together. Yeah, and, and now we get to actually speak about um, things that we're really passionate about and things that we're trying to drive forward. And I was really excited. I really wanted to bring uh, Gigi on today because she is really kind of revolutionizing the, uh, yeah, I'm going to talk you up a little bit, Gigi. I'm here for the it. The entire, <laughs> uh, you know, world of sex education and uh, sexual bringing sexual empowerment to the forefront of the conversation, which is what I'm really passionate about as well, bringing talks about sex and sexuality, things that we're starting to fear more and more, especially now with the banning of more books and the don't say gay and all of these kind of puritanical ways of thinking. Um, so I'm really happy that you're here. And I just want to give you a little bit of time to kind of bring us into this world and tell us a little bit about your work and what made you kind of step into this work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, hi everybody, I'm Gigi Angle. Um, as Mark <laughs> said, I'm a sex educator and I'm a psychotherapist in training and also a sex journalist. Um, I'm really excited to be here today because sexual health and sexual wellness are my passion. I have been working in this field for 10 years and counting. And I'm just excited to be able to have these conversations because as you said, Mark, like it is it is just kind of like a scary world out there and sex education and censorship are becoming ever more um, insidious in today's culture. So I think the more that we can have these sex positive conversations, talk about pleasure, talk about empowerment and talk about sexuality's place in feminism is really important. It really is. And I think it's something that people don't realize um, going off of that word empowerment and becoming sexually empowered uh, we think that a lot of times, especially when it comes to women enjoying their pleasure and their sexuality, that, you know, it takes feminism back a space when it's actually the opposite, that sexual empowerment is leading us into a more feminist society. And in your book, one of my favorite sections, Sexual Empowerment and a World That Isn't Into It, you talk so candidly kind of about sexual empowerment. I want you to talk a little bit about that as well. And what does being sexually empowered mean to you? Sure, absolutely. One of my favorite topics ever. Um, I mean, sexual, I think, <laughs> yes, I know. I think that being sexually empowered, <laughs> sexually empowered really means um, sexually empowered, being sexually empowered. And owning your sexuality really means like having sex and having joy and having pleasure and having sex with who you want in the ways you want um, without without any shame. So that basically yeah. means like throwing away this puritanical, um, like religious culture that we have that sort of says sex is taboo, doesn't sort of totally says sex is taboo, um, that like women shouldn't be sexually empowered, that you're a slut if you do that, which like you are, but like mm -hmm. that's great. 
And <laughs> it's like, obviously, like, why wouldn't you want obviously. to be a slut? I think being a slut's amazing. I reclaim that word. That's, that's what this book, my book is the anti-slut shaming book. But I think that like Definitely. being sexually empowered is to me, like the, the biggest, the most important thing in feminism. I mean, that might be like a bit of a stretch, but like, cause like there's lots of other stuff, but I think being sexually <laughs> empowered is such an important integral part of the feminist movement because sexuality, specifically female sexuality and queer sexuality has been used as a tool of shame by the patriarchy in order to control huge populations. Female sexuality has been used to, uh, use women as if they were treated as property to um, take away our rights, mm -hmm. to take away our, our bodily autonomy. Mm -hmm. And when you reclaim your sexuality and you reclaim your pleasure and you tell the patriarchy to like F off, you're like, <laughs> you really are like, you've taken away their power because as soon as men and as soon as the patriarchy, the capital P patriarchy doesn't have that to control you and they can't call you a slut because it's not going to do anything to you and you don't care about their egos anymore, that the power is gone and the patriarchy falls. Yeah, and I think that so much of your work is about bringing people back to themselves and back to when you own yourself and you own your autonomy, you're owning your body, when you are making your decisions and you're not allowing for the societal pressures or, you know, as you're, as you're saying, the patriarchal society that we've built, you are reclaiming literally your humanity because our sexuality is something that is so ingrained in ourselves as humans, but has been completely restricted from mainstream conversation. I mean, we will talk about this later in the episode as well, but censorship and, and I mean, it's becoming more and more wild, even to the point where us as children, I had more, you know, there's books that I read as a young queer person that were so incredibly helpful for me, these voices, that are now on the banned book list 20 years later. Yes, I mean, the, the, I'm sure we'll get like very deep into the censorship conversation because that, uh, that's going to take us a hot minute to get through. <laughs> uh, we have We've opinions. Personal stories. We, we have, opinions. have opinions. We have stories. Big time opinions. <laughs> um, but as far as like sexuality being a, like an integral part of the human, the human overall well-being, uh, yeah. I think that's a really important place to start this whole conversation is like, sexuality is not given the time in the sun that like so many other facets of human life are um mm -hmm. like we don't we don't have any we don't teach kids like what the proper names of their body parts are we don't teach them how to be we don't teach them to have autonomy over their bodies we don't teach them yep. anything about like enjoying pleasure and like as an age i would not saying that children should be learning that about like sex necessarily but there is age appropriate comprehensive sex education that kids should be learning in order to be able to become sexually prepared adults because we have this backward notion that if we don't tell kids anything about sex we don't tell kids anything about their bodies we keep all of this in the dark that they're going to just magically go off into the world and be and like know how to have relationships and know how to have sex and know how to treat other people with kindness and empathy and like that stuff's not learned it's just that's just not how it works like it's our responsibility to educate people about this and like owning your sexuality and understanding your sexuality and embracing it is a key factor in actually reaching your full potential as a person. And they would do a massive disservice by robbing, robbing young people and teenagers and everybody of that privilege. And sex is an integral to the human um, experience as eating, sleeping, 
or mm -hmm. any other part of being a human and we don't get it any time and we hide it away and ignoring that means that you're cutting off a part of yourself and cutting off the ability for another person to discover that part of themselves and you're giving them the message that their sexuality doesn't matter that they don't deserve pleasure they don't own their bodies and that sex is like bad and they're shameful and dirty and terrible if they want it like what about that is a good thing nothing there is never any good reason when it comes to this for shame like a, a society built around this whole shame surrounding our sexuality and one example i know that we were talking about is with young children when we force them to have physical contact with another you know like oh go and hug whatever give whomever a kiss goodbye you know and we force young people and we don't teach them that it's their decision who they want to welcome into their physical space who they want to you know i think that that's a really important thing i talk about um with my sister and, and raising her children as well is making sure that they young people need to understand that their body is their own and that it is their choice whom they welcome into that space and i think that we don't we're not we're not teaching that to a lot of young people in fact we're kind of teaching them the opposite yeah and we are really dangerous. it's very dangerous especially when you start thinking about the implications of what that might mean later on for consent when children exactly. don't learn the message at an early age that no means no and that we don't touch other people's bodies without permission mm -hmm. you go through the rest of your life assuming that other people's bodies are available to you if you want that mm -hmm. and and in this case, like when we're talking about young children, we're not talking about sexual contact. We're talking about no. basic body autonomy, not hugs, not like kisses on the cheek, not like touching another person, not being in family photos if they don't want to be. Like you can yes. have a conversation yeah. with them and explain to them why that's like, why it's important that they do that. But ultimately they are allowed to make those decisions for themselves. And that's really, really important because that's a foundational tool to understanding what your personal boundaries are. And this is what we what we mean when we say that education starts young, you, you know, there's without it being a conversation around necessarily sex and sexuality, it is a ongoing learning process. And it's we talked about this as well, that there shouldn't just be a talk when a, a young person enters puberty or one one talk is like the talk or this kind of whole language that thinking that that's the one moment that you educate your child about, you know, that whole language of having the talk and things about that also teaches young people that this is something that should be embarrassing or shameful or, you know, uncomfortable when it doesn't need to be that way. There can be this openness and this compassion and this ongoing realm of education. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand that like with the, like people are so freaked out about like teaching children about sex, about sexuality. But the thing is, it's like you actually can talk about sexuality without talking about fucking. And, yeah. if, and if you can't, <laughs> then that's because you didn't have comprehensive sexuality yes. and you cannot make that distinction. It's a trickle down for yeah, sure. Because like when we're talking about young kids, we're talking about empathy. We're talking about having respect for other people. We're talking about how to be an empathetic and kind friend and how to like, we're teaching them about basic human relationships. And that's part of all of this education because when people learn, when you learn how to be like an empathetic, kind friend and you learn how you're supposed to treat other people, you learn your body belongs to you. Then as you get older, you're prepared for lessons that are more um, 
not like more like about actual sex because you have that foundation. And if you exactly. as a parent, I hate the capital T talk because not on top of it just being <laughs> one talk, parents yeah. are also like 99% of the time, that's a fake figure, but like, you know, probably. <laughs> They're like physically <laughs> uncomfortable when giving the talk. And that also sends subliminal messages mm, that like, mm, this is shameful. This is bad. Mm, this isn't something you should talk about. And then kids don't feel like they can ask questions and they don't yep. feel like it's something they can talk about. And that's something they should be embarrassed about. And they can't ask their moms or their, or their dads or their parents um, anything about sex and kids are freaking curious. So like, if yeah. you, if you have like, starting at a young age, like conversations using anatomical words for their bodies instead of this whole like wee wee hoo hoo stuff with like penises and vulvas. Like that's, that's the other. Yeah, that's the other thing is when you're when you're not even own, you know, this is the word like we don't need to create these other baby names around this stuff because again we're teaching that this is something shameful we need to create a whole different word for it instead of owning physicality. Penis and vulva are not swear words. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, they're not. <laughs> it's just, it's like arm. Yes. It's like, it's literally you know, an it's, arm or a leg. It's like, you don't call your elbow, yeah. your, your, your arm knee. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, it, it comes back to that whole autonomous conversation. Yeah. It's like, and it's the same thing with so many other conversations around like, you know, bodily autonomy, sex. Like if a kid, if a child asks you like, you're like saying someone's pregnant. They're like, oh, where, like, where do babies come from? To just be like, oh, it's magic. It's like, that's not actually serving the conversation. It might make you feel better, no. but you've just done yeah. a massive disservice to that child. You don't have to explain yeah. the whole process of egg fertilization to a four-year-old, but you can explain like that a baby lives inside your uterus, which is inside of your ab, your, inside your tummy. And like, yeah. even though that's not exactly right, but you know, they're four. And then like babies come out of your body. And, it, and you could be like, that's like magic because it freaking is. The fact that yeah. female bodies can give birth is mind blowing. That's not really the topic. No, but it should also be a celebrated thing. Oh, yeah, I mean, totally. we should be teaching that this is a beautiful, beautiful thing, not something that we need to make up a story about a stork dropping a baby off. It's like, why are we um, so- And like, that's why you have a brother. Oh my God, yeah. You know, like, it's, it's magic. Oh, and then now there's a baby here. Like, unbelievable. And like, it's like, ugh. It's a disservice to our young people. And it's also- disservice. It's confusing. It's so confusing. And as somebody who myself, you know, growing up queer, I've been, you know, I have found that identity from a very, very young age. And I've been taught from a very young age about how shameful- that is and that's something that i have to work you know have had to work through a lot and and work through you know with therapy and uh so many other people in the community as well that deal with from such a young age it being this shameful thing there's so much shame around it and then now we're literally saying that children are not allowed to even say the word gay I mean, we're just completely injecting this whole new set of shame that people, young people are going to have to work through and deal with. And, and it's kind of crazy to me that we're not recognizing, you know, this this epidemic of mental health that we're already moving through and kind of just taking that knife in a little bit deeper, um, which which is really sad for me because I... You know, quick story for me, when I was in fourth grade in a small, tiny country school in Wisconsin, I had a gay educator. And, you know, obviously we weren't like talking about being gay or anything like that, but having that as a role model for me and actually knowing a queer person as a young child in the school was 
insanely beneficial and incredibly normalizing. And the fact that now we're almost going in reverse, and I like the way you, you call it this kind of puritanical uh, society, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me. And that's also why I wanted to have this conversation and keep bringing these conversations to the forefront. Because if we don't, we're just keep moving in this direction. Yeah, we're getting pretty close to some of this blessed be the fruit ass shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to be honest with you with that one. It is um it is definitely moving there. And I also wanted to, you know, uh <laughs> bring up as well the language kind of that you use in all the effing mistakes. Um and how how people have viewed that. For those of you that haven't read the book yet, please do because it's absolutely hilarious um but actually incredibly informational and not just you know you don't have to know Gigi to think it's very funny but there is a lot I mean my favorite chapter is called can you send a sext about chowking on a cock and still be a feminist um <laughs> and that whole chapter is about sexting and owning and owning this language so I want to give you a little moment about why the language is purposeful sure yeah so the language and all the fucking mistakes is um it's so the book itself is i mean it's a the anti-slut shaming guide to sex love and life and there are it's a there's a ton of research ton of history it's, i spoke to tons of experts but the book itself is also so sweary and so raunchy and that's yeah. actually been like its biggest criticism yes it is and it's like and if i were a man that would not be a problem there are several books that are that are like memoirs or personal essays that were written by male people, by male identified like people. Yours, except yours has a lot more of actual scientific information as well when it comes well, to sexuality. Yeah, my book is an actual guidebook, but it's really sweary because then it's also anecdotal because it's like, it's really coming from this perspective that anyone can read it and understand it. But it's really sweary because the whole point of it was to subvert the narrative on what we think is appropriate for female behavior. Totally. So like it's purposefully that way. And like uh, most people got it, but some people didn't. And I always find like, it's important <laughs> to be like, why do you, why would a book about feminism and about sex and about anti-slut shaming use the word fuck all the time? Let's think about it for a second. Cause yeah. it's really, really important part of this. Like, I'm not saying you have to swear every single sentence or anything like that. Like I don't speak like that in my normal life. Even though this podcast is probably not giving that impression, <laughs> but like, but um, you know, I don't like I don't I don't swear like constantly like I do in the book or anything like that. And nobody has to do that. That's not necessary. But I think the point is that you should be allowed to if you want to, and mm -hmm. you shouldn't. And like somebody telling you that they that you can't do that or you shouldn't do that, like that's a reflection on them. That's not a reflection on you, because like they're the ones being judgmental. Yeah. And I think especially exactly. when it comes to feminism, when it comes to female sexuality and it comes to representation and be owning yourself, it's that's part of it is being like, I can say what I want. I can believe what I want. I can have sex with who I want. And it's really none of your effing business. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting because. Again, to go back so much about this. This choice of words and this choice of actions is about owning yourself and being able to be like, I can do whatever I want as a woman. And I think a lot of people view that as taking feminism a step back as like, 
oh, you know, like you shouldn't, you, you know, you can't be talking like that or that, you know, you sexualizing yourself, because again, you're making that choice to sexualize yourself is somehow bad and anti-feminist when it's actually the opposite. It's, it's, we, uh, this is what I truly, truly believe. And this is my own sexual activism coming out. We as a society moving towards a space of sexual empowerment, owning our sexuality, speaking about it clearly, and having consensual sexual relationships that are fulfilling is how we are going to progress forward. We have to have compassion for ourselves, flowing into other people. We have to own our pleasure. And that's how we're going to move in towards a new society of love and of acceptance. Because it ain't working right now. This the censorship, you know, it ain't working. So that's that's why I, you know, I'm so passionate about this and and why I really responded to the book. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I think that like what the idea, the criticism that I've sometimes gotten from like like good feminists. I'm doing air quotes like the yeah. good, the, there's this idea <laughs> that like quotes. the good feminist, I'm doing my sexy yeah. voice now, or I'm like the good feminist yeah. has to only talk about the different waves of feminism and all the different icons and never talk about sex because we don't want to be sexualized. It's like exactly. that's actually bullshit because feminism means having equality of the sexes and of the genders. And if yes. that's that's what you want, that means owning your sexuality, not slut shaming other women or queer people yes. or other people mm -hmm. and not telling them what they should or shouldn't do because we are empowered adults or adult people, empowered people who are in charge of our own destiny. And while the thing about sexuality is specifically when it comes to shame is that sexuality is not shameful. Sexuality is not shameful because mm -hmm. you are ashamed of it. That is something mm -hmm that was created by society. It is not an inherently shameful thing. That's something that was fed to you. So anything yep. that you have that if you're upset with me for empowering my sexuality and empowering others to be sexually open, that's your stuff. That's you not understanding what true freedom is. And if you can't embrace your sexuality and embrace your power in that way, you're not really free, man. Yeah, totally. Exactly. You're still giving into this false narrative that we have, you know, that sex is shameful, that, you know, having sexual desires is shameful, having, you know, kink shaming, all of this is all tied together. And it's all tied together into this control as well, because a sexually empowered society is one that is empowered in themselves and is not able to be completely cog in the machine, kind of this control. Absolutely. Like, like, sexual like the control of sexuality and sexual shame is a is completely fabricated and it is mm -hmm. used as a tool of control it's used to control women it's used to control queer people it's mm -hmm. used to control our identity it's used to keep us down and censorship and all of this stuff is starting to become more and more prevalent we're starting to see it every single day and that, like without having without like breaking free having these conversations and trying to liberate these discussions like we're screwed i mean it's it's Really, I'm thinking about it now and like, girl, 50 years ago, this book would not be published. This would be 50 years ago, right I would have been back to you. 50 years you ago, know. I would have been burned at the stake, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Let's exactly. be real, man. You know, it's, it's really, yeah, exactly. It's, it's really interesting. And um, I think it's a great time, too, to kind of talk about censorship um, for you and, and myself. 
uh, shadow band people of the world unite. Woo woo. <laughs> uh, we, we, yeah, I love that for us. I love that people can't see the content <laughs> that we create because um, it's all controlled by, you know, essentially a few people who get to make the decisions about what is acceptable on these social platforms. And unfortunately, the social platforms are not going away and they are drivers of career. They are ways that we book work. They are ways that people see our work and find us. And uh, I know you said this the other day, you know, like sometimes when you post something, even with, you know, 30 plus thousand followers, you'll get maybe like 50 likes or a hundred, you know, it's, it's that, you know, and I, I am that way as well with, you know, certain things that get taken down just automatically without even any um, reasoning. And it's just because the algorithm is trying to change everything to be for advertisements and for advertisers. And nobody wants to, you know, pay for these advertisements on these platforms um, if there's this type of, you know, empowered and educational content. Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's kind of the ugly truth of it. It's like, it's kind of ironic. We're having this conversation right after Elon Musk bought Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I or I'll go in hell in a handbasket, my friend. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, okay. Cause I think Twitter was kind of one of the only mm-hmm. uh, platforms that really is, is not censored. I'm excited um, for no one to hear this episode. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm excited for this to just get pushed completely. Um, JK, please wow. like and subscribe. Please like and subscribe. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I want to hear a little bit. You know, actually, before we even get into everything about censorship, there is one funny story. I remember when this happened, maybe two years ago. You had wrote for Teen Vogue um, a really amazing article that kind of had a whole viral moment. Um, and then... Uh, you know, had a whole backlash and really, uh, I want you to tell the story, but in the book, it was really funny because you reference it and you're like, uh, you know, one person had even went so far as to buy a copy of Teen Vogue and burn it, even oh, though it was oh, only oh, published like, online. <laughs> she bought hundreds of copies and she made a Oh, bonfire. she brought hundreds of copies and burnt them, even though... Yeah. It was a digital article. <laughs> yeah, my, no, my, resp- my, my response to that, like, everyone's like, oh, my God. And I was like, she thought I was in print? Yeah. yeah. Like, You're like, oh, I was like, oh my I'm God, so I'm flattered. so flattered. So I really flattered. was. Okay, so I'll tell the story because I think, like, we yes. need some context. Yes, yes. So tell the story. Okay, yeah. So, like, I write, um, part of, like, my whole thing is that I, I know we've probably got this message right now, but I'm shameless. And I will write anything I want. And I also really, truly (laughs) believe in educating people. And one of the things I do for Teen Vogue or did for Teen Vogue, I haven't written for them in a while, but what what I did for Teen Vogue was I used to write um, educational articles about different sexuality topics. Um, And I wrote a couple of articles that I thought were like, you know, pretty, pretty like spicy. Um, Because, you know, it's a teen audience. So like, I was very careful about language. It was always very inclusive. The idea was always to educate, not like encourage. And so I wrote like, you know, masturbation guides, all kinds of stuff. Like nobody seemed to mind. Then my editor comes to me in 2017 and was like, hey, like, would you want to write this article about anal sex? Just like pretty much off the cuff. I'm like, of course. So like I write, (laughs) yeah, like definitely. So the the point of it was, you know, to be really educational, like queer kids don't have stuff like that online. Uh, Young 
female body certainly people not are having anal. in a major yeah publication yeah. and things that are actually again we're not talking about fluff Gigi writes she is a certified sex educator she writes about science she write you know yes. yes a lot of her stuff is very very funny and things but again this is educational I want to you know just remind that for listeners as well yeah that's all educational like uh I do investigative sexual health research like that's what that's mm -hmm. what I do with my journalism um investigative reporting so I wrote um this wasn't investigative but like I have a sex education background so it it's pretty basic writing about the, the mechanics of anal sex. Yes. Yeah. So um, I worked with the illustrator at Teen Vogue. You know, they did like really cool diagrams. Um, and it was like, there was like a, it was just really good. I think it's amazing. It's, uh, and it's very good. So I wrote this article, turn it in, don't think anything of it. A few days later, <laughs> it goes live. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Then an absolute shitstorm. Yeah. Hits. <laughs> Like I was not prepared for the level of this. Cause like I have been, I had been writing on the internet at this point for like five years, four or five years and mm -hmm. had never had anything like this happen. And I was writing like all kinds of sex stuff for like years yeah. and years. No, nobody has ever cared. I mean, yes, yeah. people like, you know, <laughs> trolled me sometimes, but it was like never really that bad. So I write this anal sex article and people lost their goddamn minds like this. Okay. So the, the first, like, big viral thing was like this woman who's like by the way her husband's like a neo-nazi and like so is she and she i don't know how she has like so many followers i'm pretty sure she's been deplatformed at this point i actually don't remember what her name is but like whatever <laughs> bitch i don't know you so she like she bought like hundreds of copies it was the funny it's the funniest video in the entire world i wish i had a copy and she like made a bonfire of teen vote magazine which by the way thanks for buying them really helped out really? And, then, yeah, exactly. yeah. and then lit them on fire and it was hilarious but then I was getting as Sean Hannity called me a sodomite on national television wasn't aware we were using the word sodomite anymore like it was 1775 but cool <laughs> <laughs> I was like wow wow wow, yeah. wow 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 so like that was cool <laughs> it was so crazy and then um like I was just getting like really trolled like to the point where like trolls were going into my photos and contacting people who were tagged in photos with me. Like it got rough, but it was, um, and it was like a lot for sure. It was a lot mentally, but at the same time I was like, damn, my career just took off and I got a book deal and all the stuff that came out of it. <laughs> so like jokes on you. But the point being like, that's like, if you write stuff that people think is like, it's going to educate people. They immediately say you're encouraging them. They immediately say you're a pedophile, mm, which is mm -hmm. insane. That, and, that word yeah, is always... They uh, love yeah. the big old P word. It's their favorite. Yeah. I had to mute yeah. the word pedophile on my social medias because of how often people call me that. Oh, wow. Wow. It's fun. Yeah, it's and fun. I think that's why I know that you are such an incredibly strong person. I know you talk about how much hate speech that you encounter in the book as well. And I mean... Hi, you're a <laughs> queer woman talking about sex and sexuality and trying, you know, I mean, I had a subscription to Teen Vogue as a young kid, and that would have been very, very helpful and educational. I think that what people don't realize as well is that young people have a smartphone in their pocket from like age nine forward. They can find anything. They do find anything. What do you think people are going to find if they Google the word anal? Because it's not exactly. going to be my article from Teen Vogue. It's, 
and it's not going to be educational. It's and not. I think, it's not. You know, and and I think that I can really speak on. I, we as a generation are maybe the first people that can speak on this because the internet was at my fingertips at 13 years old, and I did find a lot. You know, uh, it was not as beneficial as it, you know the info. The misinformation is out there. Oh, big time. And people are finding it. People are always going to find this misinformation. There's an epidemic of misinformation. Well, and the mainstream porn as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And censoring people. Because, like, the thing is, is, like, people think that, like, people think, like, the mainstream porn has, like, ruined sex for people. But, like, if we had comprehensive sex, sex education and we talked to people about sex, then people would know, young kids would know that's they would be, first of all, you would prepare them that they may see something like this. You don't, I mean, we'll go into explicit detail, but like you want to prepare your kid because they're going to see it. Like you pretending they're not does not mean they won't. But like, yeah. if you don't give them sex education, they're going to assume that the anal porn yeah. they found is how people have sex. And they're going to, exactly. they're not going to know. And that's like trying to learn how to have sex or like, it's like trying to learn how to cook by watching Hell's Kitchen. That is not the yeah. best. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's crazy to me that people think because I'm like, well, hi, I was 13. I did have the Internet and, uh, you know, and like I'm talking from experience like it was very like if we were better about education, if we were better about releasing shame, if we were better about being comprehensive and being compassionate, empathetic individuals rather than just banning ba trying to ban everything because it makes you feel uncomfortable like yeah. young people it, it they're going to find out they're going to see images they're going it's it's out there but if we can do our job to be factual to be educational and to be you know censorship is not the way it's not going to go away it's mm -hmm. not going to go away it's you know yeah i think we i think we need to be like a society that just like this is kind of wishful thinking, but just like a society that's like ready to not put other people's education and other people's well-being behind our own discomfort. Exactly. And, you know, we don't you talk about this in the book, too. Like we have no problem with violence, guns, you know, constant video games. With, they're all playing them. They're all they're constantly. But oh my gosh, a consensual like relationship being like portrayed as just like a pearl clutch moment. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, but we're not clutching our pearls at the incredibly insane violent imagery that young people are experiencing. And, uh, you know, now we're banning all of the books with any LGBT stories in them. Well, it's like, yeah, it's like, don't get me wrong. It's like, here, it's like people don't actually care about the well-being of kids that much. Like, because if they did, yeah. this wouldn't be happening. They wouldn't yes, like exactly. they'd be caring much more about the messages they actually do see, like this insane violence and stuff. What we care, what people care about, what the patriarchy cares about, is control. And yeah. we, and if we stick, if we don't, if we veer away from the heterosexual PIV intercourse, sex until marriage, Christian belief system, social script, things mm -hmm. fall apart for them. And they mm -hmm. can't have that. So they have to buckle down and pretend that we're saving America's youth when really you're just yeah. like trying to like preach on the people, your moral, your so-called moral values that are doing a massive disservice to people. Yeah, exactly. And it's in this political kind of game too that's going on where we're not actually caring about the well-being of young people. We just want 
our politics to like reign true. It's really, you know, really fascinating time. Um, and it kind of brings me to like the reason why I even wanted to have you on to do this particular episode is because I just feel like we fear sex. We fear sexuality so much and that's where so much of the violence come in violence against trans people queer people women you know men whoever it is we are just fearing this so much and we have so much of this sexual shame um and being liberated seems to be really scaring people yes i mean to be liberated is to venture into the unknown it's to like live in a world that like doesn't fit what we've been told about the world. And mm -hmm. I think as far as violence against women, trans people, queer people of all types and, and also men, even though the vast yeah. majority of violence, the sexual violence that's committed, like 98%, 99% is committed by men. Um, that all comes into it. It's like these, uh, these toxic structures that we have particularly around what it means to be in a certain gender. Um, because when you mm. tell, because the thing about that, this is a thing that I think a lot of people who are against feminism, like don't actually understand the patriarchy and toxic masculine structures, screw you over just as much if you're a man. Mm -hmm. And the patriarchy is screwing you over too. the messages that we give young boys, young people raised yes. male. Oh, my God. Like, don't cry. Don't have emotions. Uh, you have to have a rock hard penis all the time. And if five hour erections, and if you don't have a huge penis, and you're not six feet, you're a loser mm -hmm. shrimp beta cuck. It's yeah. like, it's like, don't have emotions. Don't feel your feelings. Women are yep. bitches. It's like this kind of like angry, um, emotionless lack of empathy that we are teaching young men to exhibit. This is why the mm -hmm. male suicide rate is higher than any other gender by far. Because when you cannot oh, wow. express your emotions and you cannot express your feelings, you kill yourself. Yeah. Like you cause harm. And when they don't cause harm to, the, to, to themselves, this is where sexual violence comes in because like you don't, there's no like outlet for anger. There's no outlet. The only thing you can have is anger. There's no outlet for any kind of other emotions. So grief, sadness, uh, despair, um, and depression, anxiety, this all gets molded into anger because that's the only appropriate emotion to have. Yeah. And you know, young boys, you can be angry, but you can't be sad. You can't mm -hmm. cry, you can't be loving, you can't be, you know, and I think it also ties directly into young people violence and and shootings and th you, I mean it all feeds into this whole false narrative that our gender needs to be uh, this, this and this. And this yes. whole binary gender structure that is trying to put us into these boxes that is literally making us sick with yes. anxieties and depression and violence. It's, and this is why, you know, it's, it's a lot for me right now, personally, working through social media and what's happening, censorship and things, but like, I am not gonna stop putting my stuff out there because I know that it's important and I'm trying to stay authentic, even though there's just so much, you know, the past couple of years have changed so much for me, but the main focus is to bring back that authenticity because I know that there is some young queerling out there who needs a voice, who needs me to wear a crop top, 
who needs me to strangle, you know, who, yeah, (laughs) yeah, I think, yeah, hopefully a few people, but that I need to put it out there because I want people to see themselves. I think that we don't have enough of being able to see ourselves. And if we don't see ourselves, we don't feel like we can be ourselves. So the more that we can, yeah, we can just be authentic and put that out there. And that's what I, you know, I try to do for the young people, even though it's, you know, shadow band, the house down boots. Um, It's (laughs) I'm at least putting it out there. Um, But yeah. And I think that that's, that's for me, what is really important is to promote that we can be sexually empowered beings, promote that we can create whatever our gender structure looks like. And it doesn't need to look like anybody else's. We don't need to act like anybody else. Oh, yeah. Air snaps. snaps. So good. Amen. Yeah. That's, like, <laughs> that's one of the reasons we're, we've been friends for all these years, because com- I'm yeah. completely aligned with that vision. I mean, it's like for every hundred, um, you know, rape threats that I get, which I, I'm a woman on the Internet. Uh, yeah. um, the one yeah. the one message that I get from somebody who's like, like your book changed my life or like I've been following you mm. and like your messages mean so much to me and like or like I finally found my sexuality or for like that makes it all worth it and like when I work with clients one-on-one and like I see their growth and like they're able f- and I, a lot of the time one of the most powerful things in the therapy is not even the therapy itself it's the fact that they know that they can talk to me about sex and that they know that yeah. it's a safe space for that, that none of their questions are going to be judged, that they're completely in a safe place with somebody who totally gets them. Like that is so in itself, so healing. And that is why I do what I do. And like, I don't care what Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg try to do, but they're not taking me down without a fight. Yeah, we'll just create something our own. Yes. And I think, yeah, yeah, I completely relate. I think that's why for becoming a movement educator for me was so important because of that exact reason. I want to create a safe space. And that's why, you know, I make these classes for GLOW and I uh, continue to to teach is because we're also taught that our bodies are not good enough all the time. We're not good enough because we can't do this or we're not, you know, thin enough. We're not this enough. And I don't want my space to be clouded with those feelings. I want my space. I want my classes to feel good and to be a space where you don't need to look like anything. You don't need to push yourself. You just show up and you just move because it's, it's it's like sexuality. It's an important part of our humanity and bringing it back to that humanity. I love taking your classes because like, it's so interesting because like as a sex educator, I was like, oh my God, I just feel so like held. Wow. Yes. And like, that's like kind of how I feel like with all my sexuality stuff. And like when I'm preaching masturbation mm. stuff, I'm like, this is kind of how it should be. We should all just be like loving it and in harmony and living this life of like abundance and joy and safety yeah. with each other and be able to just be ourselves. Like that, that's what life should be. Life is way too short mm-hmm. to not have orgasms or joy. Yeah. And I'm just so sick of trying to prove myself, you know, and uh, as a, you know, for you as a woman and me, like being very outwardly queer, it's, you know, I just, I just don't want to, I'm not proving myself anymore. Like I have found my worth and I want other people to feel their worth too. They don't, you don't need to look like anything else or act like anything else. Um, 
And also, I know you have a few amazing thoughts, too, about the importance of masturbation and why we don't talk about that either, especially female empowered. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, that's I know that's something that you recently have commented on. Yes, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a masturbation evangelist. Yeah. <laughs> I've come Can we to coin preach. that, please? Yes, please. I've come to preach Can that. Please the, go in to, your bio. I came to breach the good word about the yeah. masturbation. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I think um, that masturbation is, is incredible. I mean, obviously, but like uh, the thing about masturbation is like we one of the really huge problems with sex ed, other than all of it, is the fact that like we <laughs> like really we never ever hear about pleasure and. In yes. like Secus, yeah. which is like the big sexuality reports on like what parents want in schools and like trying to like bridge the gap between parents and schools and try to figure out what kind of educational platforms, uh, educational guidelines there should be around sex. They did a survey recently where they like, a lot, most parents agreed they wanted comprehensive sex education. But I looked it up and like the word masturbation is not even mentioned in the survey. Like it's not yeah. even an option. And like, you know, jo like Jocelyn Elders, like in the 90s, was removed as the attorney general for mentioning, for saying that she thought masturbation should be, should, people should say masturbation is normal, essentially. And she, like she yeah. lost her seat for literally for saying that masturbation, wanting people to say masturbation wow. is normal. So like, that's 90s. kind of where we are in the 90s. And like things have not yeah. changed. That's the thing. No, things have no, not no. changed. So no, still uh, shameful. Still shame. Shame game. I think if a, uh, if a public representative right now were to say that's sentence they would also lose their position i don't know that yeah. for sure but i think that's considering how much censorship is starting to come down oh, and how far right we're swinging i wouldn't be shocked by that so just because yeah. we're in 2022 does not mean that we have come far but um the thing about masturbation is that it is like it is such a radical self act of self-love to masturbate mm -hmm. um it is the it's like anti-shame it's like reclaiming your body the way that mm -hmm. our um sexual response works is that your brain like will, will either it either starts in your genitals or it starts in your brain but like a, a signal will be interpreted as being sexual which will either get the brain involved with the genitals or the genitals with the brain and the spinal cord works as the messenger system and engaging mm. in masturbation gets all of your nerve endings going gets those messages going back and forth brings you into your body wow. and makes you connect with yourself and to the world around you in such a beautiful profound way and masturbation is just genuinely good for your health. You have like your do dopamine, your oxytocin, your uh, adrenaline, your serotonin, all of these like amazing brain chemicals that studies have shown even help with immunity. They make your skin look better. They help you sleep. There's really nothing wrong with it. Um, actually, there's everything right with it. So mm -hmm. I mean, I think I say orgasm a day keeps the doctor away. <laughs> I love that. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think that again, allowing people to own their sexuality and to be connected to their body, we are becoming so distant. Again, to bring it back to movement practice as well, a meditation practice, we are so distant from ourselves. We are so like separating and even more so with more technology and more on the phone and more this, it's, it's, we need more practices that are gonna bring us together bring our bodies together. And I know that that's like one of the best, you know, self-care. Um, if I were to ask you, you know, what do you do for self-care? Um, and I also think that when we talk about self-care, which is something that we do a lot with GLOW, it's not always 
you know, doing a bentonite clay sheet mask or, you know, <laughs> going to get your nails done. A jade done. roller before bed. Yeah, it's not always the jade roller. Deep puff puff, um, baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about, for me especially, like, it's treating myself with loving kindness. Yes. And if my mental chatter is destructive, then I've completely missed the point. I can do a million spa days in a row. And if my mental chatter is still, you know, that's something that I I struggle with. And I uh, have been working with a lot right now is this, you know, self-worth and coming back to self-worth. And I'm really open about talking about that because I think that it's something that so many of us are struggling with. And I think that we get confused that again, self self-care is the jade rolling and it's not self-care is the taking time for yourself. It's the mental chatter. It's being kind to yourself. Um, and apparently it's masturbating too. It is. So that's, uh... <laughs> I think for me, I think it's like, it all comes down to like, grounding and being at home in your body. That's what self-care mm-hmm. is. Self-care may be a hot little buzzword. I'll dress yeah. up in its cute little black dress, but like, yeah. it's, it's not about mask face masks. And it's about what the face masks and the spa days and the masturbation and the movement, what all of that represents, which is honoring your body mm. and taking care of yourself. And the reason that dancing and masturbation, which are very similar in a lot of ways are really powerful for that for that self-love and that self-care is because it forces you out of that mental chatter, out of that space yes. and into your body. And it forces you to like be in yourself yep. and to like connect with yourself in a way that's deeply healing. Yeah. And I distinctly remember as a young person, the, I was, you know, people, I think people ask like, why do you dance or something, you know, cause I got into dance as a young person. And I remember being like, well, it's the one time that my brain shuts off, that I'm not, you know, I used to have a lot of racing thoughts as a young person and things like that. And I remember distinctly that like being in the studio was the one time when that all went away. It just like seemed to disappear. And I, you know, that's why movement is one of my passions too, because again, this is your chance to connect with yourself and to ground yourself. I think that's an important thing is like, you know, you found the thing that helps you helps you connect to your body and like mass movement for one person and masturbation and all of these different things. Everybody has their own journey to that. And we need to have space for all of that. But really it's about instead of like casting yourself in shame and saying you shouldn't do Mm -hmm. something or you can't do something because it's bad or it's a waste of time or whatever. That's, that's like actively working against yourself when really we should be doing things that make us feel good. Yeah. And I think that's why your work and my work, it's so in alignment too, because it's about empowering and it's about taking away that shame and and allowing you to be open and uh, that safe space and and just allowing. That's how I feel too with, with movement practices. It's about embracing abundance. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. And I think that this groundedness, this empowering ourselves, taking back our pleasure too. And I bring that a lot with, with movement, you know, I th- that's why I like to say movement should feel good. If it's not change up your movement practice, do something different. It's not about torturing yourself. You could literally put the word masturbation in where you're putting movement and it's exactly the same. Oh my God. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. It's about bringing yourself back to pleasure like we are meant to be joyful beings i think that we forget that because we're so used to we got to make it happen we've got to make money we've got to you know raise a family we've got to do this 
but life in itself should be joyful. And I'm trying to make that more of a practice in my everyday life, just coming back to the joy. We should be feeling joy in our sexuality, feeling joy in our movement, our work, our personal relationships, and feeling the joy in ourselves with what we're doing. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to matter when we <laughs> leave this planet. It is not going to matter how much money we made, how many this, how much that. You know, all that's going to matter is that we enjoyed the actual moments and we're living in this really present life. And that's my that's my um, my two cents on that. And I think that's a, a kind of a nice place to wrap up. Um, Gigi, it's been such a pleasure. Um, and where can we find you, too, like on social media? Yeah, it's been an amazing conversation. And I always love a chance to chat with you, Mark. And I thank you for having me on this wonderful podcast because it's been such a joy to be able to talk about my work and about pleasure with somebody who gets it so thoroughly um, <laughs> yes. and in such a profound way themselves. Uh, if you guys want to follow me, you can find me on my website, which is MissGigiAngle.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at GigiAngle. And on my website, you can also, there is a link to my Substack newsletter, which is called The G-Spot, which goes out every Monday Ooh. and is a... Um, shares my latest thoughts um, on sexuality, sexual pleasure, all through a feminist lens. And there's also a lot of fun uh, additives, like fun reads I did that week. I love. So um, we'll also include all of that in the show notes. So you guys just have links to click. Um, I also want to include a few of my favorite kind of self-love classes on Glow for you as well. If we haven't moved together, I'd love to move with you. Um, and then, of course, Gigi's uh, incredible book, All the Effing Mistakes, um, we'll also link to that as well. Uh, but this has been so much fun and, and such a pleasure, Gigi. I'm really thankful for your, your work and, and for your voice in this. So thank you. Thank you. I love you so much, Mark, and I appreciate you so much. And you're an absolute gift to this earth. Oh. Thank you. That's a great way to end. I agree. <laughs> Just I mean, I know. <laughs> if you were like, Again, no, coming I'm back not. to that self worth. Yeah. We, we own know. it, own it, we own it. it. No apologies. <laughs> no apologies. Have a beautiful day. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at Glow. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider, Red Cub Agency, for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember... Take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.